0: St. John Paul II once said that all Christians are called to make their life into a masterpiece, a great work of art. What does that mean and how does prayer help us answer that call? Join us today as we explore the call to holiness and the role of prayer in our daily lives with Matt Leonard, author of Prayer Works, Getting a Grip on Catholic Spirituality. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. Uh, Today we'll be talking about prayer and the life of holiness. Um, Your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University. I'm joined here in our studios by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University. Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization. And our special guest, Matt Leonard. Matt's the Executive Director of the St. Paul Center. You're a speaker and author. and uh, you do so much, you're a convert to Catholicism, and uh, you're a former missionary to Latin America, you have your MA in theology here from Franciscan University, and, which we're very proud of, and doing great work out there. Uh, you're no stranger to radio and TV, especially to EWTN, and you're the host of the Journey Through Scripture video series, which is which is fabulous, and uh, you're an author of two different books, uh, the Art of Living as a Catholic, Louder Than Words, and the most recent, uh, Prayer Works, Getting a Grip on Catholic Spirituality. Uh, it is great to have you here on the program. You have five children and live here in Steubenville, Ohio. So welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. Yeah, so we're talking about holiness in, in the lives of Catholics as well as a life of prayer. So let's start with some of the basics. W- what is holiness? How would we define
1: holiness? I guess we'd start with the fact that uh, scripture tells us that God alone is holy. So any growth in holiness that we have or is really as a result of how closely attached we are to Jesus Christ. Okay. And uh, holiness looks different in, in different people as well. So you know, look at Scott and Regis, they, they look different. Both of them are seeking holiness, right? You Neither see of us is very close. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks different in different people. But really it boils down to how close are you living to Jesus Christ, because he's the fount of holiness. Uh,
0: so, so is that what the church says? I mean, what does the church call holiness? Is there a
1: definition or a description that you you kind of a go-to description for that? I, I guess, technically speaking, you'd say that uh, how closely do we conform our own wills to Jesus Christ? Okay. And, but again, it, it manifests itself in different ways, I think, in different people, because we have our own individual characteristics. Okay. But it, it all stems from Jesus Christ.
2: You know, a, a century ago, a famous book was written by a German theologian, Rudolf Otto, The Idea of the Holy, and his approach to holiness was more experiential or phenomenological. He, he tried to explain it in terms of the mysterium tremendum, that sense of awe that we have in the presence of the transcendent. The problem with that definition of holy, however, is that it doesn't apply to God, Mm. and since God is holy and the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that it's not simply our response to the presence of God, it's our participation in the very life of God. Mm. And I think that's what uh, Matt's work is pointing us to, is the recognition that it's one thing to recognize the Creator and our own finitude as creatures. It's another thing to recognize that He is beckoning us to enter into a life that is is not ours by nature, but only His naturally. and that is holiness, it's, it's not just rectitude, it's not just virtue, it's more than the natural law. Mm. It is entering into a love that really is godlike and, and that's why there's no way you can ever claim to cross the finish line before death.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's, uh, it's very useful to try and identify uh, the phenomenon and I think Rudolf Otto is extremely helpful the encounter uh, with the other, with the holy other, awakens a sense of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just a fear that has a transitive object, but fear without object, which is dread. It, it uh, instantly uh, transfixes one, and this sacredly terrifying reality fills us with a trembling uh, and you're tempted to become prostrate, to fall down and worship this other because it is so tremendous, so transcendent, uh, so fearful. But at the same time, you're fascinated. You're enraptured by this. It awakens a, a, a response of love. But the disparity between you and this, uh, this beloved being is so great, uh, so incommensurate that you wonder, how do I approach this God? How do I come close without being consumed, uh, somehow devoured by this blazing uh, inferno of, of God's presence? And, and that's where Catholic Christianity, I, I think, is so indispensable because she provides mediation, mm. uh, you know, sacramental stuff, which somehow sanctifies us. All this grit, things, bread, water, wine, gesture, words, uh, color, these things draw us uh, and domesticate uh, uh, the relationship in a way that makes God approachable for the first time. Right. You know, as a Protestant,
1: I used to kind of sit in church services and wonder, what is this holiness? What, what, is, what am I doing here? Because it was kind of in the air in a sense, but I couldn't grasp it. And, and I love your point, Regis, because the smells and the bells and the grittiness of the Catholic Church is something that I really gravitated toward as I was coming into Mother Church, because there were real avenues of grace that I could grasp a hold of and participate in and thus know that I was
3: growing in the life of holiness. And that, that changes everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, God's divine condescension, which is something none of us could anticipate. And, and once uh, it happens, none, none of us deserves. Uh, and yet he breaks himself to become stuff, food, bread. He becomes a meal that, that we are invited to eat. And, and all at once, the barriers fall away. The, what, what would ordinarily be this impediment that you, you dare not even approach, must much less uh, transcend, becomes a, a welcome mat, a door that He opens, and He beckons you to come inside. That's the summons, I think, to sanctity. That's what holiness consists of. You are drawn, into this circle of love. Yeah, that's powerful. You know,
2: when you describe it in those terms, I'm reminded of what I felt when I was a Calvinist, you know, when I was an, a, a reformed evangelical, because where we both come from, you know, the accent mark is shifted over to what Rudolf Otto describes, that that, that, that sense of mystery, that you, you, you tremble, and yet you're fascinated by it, but most especially, you wanna prostrate yourself right. before it, you know? and the sovereign majesty of a God who is so holy that you dare not approach him. So far I mean, that ruined. is what you accentuate yeah. Yeah. in yeah. Yeah. that Calvinist tradition. Yes. And in a, in a certain way, it's a great place to start, yeah. because you know, if you start on the other side, where you know, Jesus is my buddy and pal, yeah, right. you, know, you really have a difficult time recovering the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning yeah. of true wisdom. But when you start with the fear that is proper to us as creatures, and especially as sinners, then suddenly, we allow ourselves to be even more dramatically shocked and fascinated by grace and mercy. The fact that this all holy God, who is so awesome and so distant and so terrifying, would stoop down to us, as you were saying, in condescension. No matter how low he has to go, he'll find us, and no matter how low he has to work, he'll use bread and wine and water and oil, and it's like, Whoa, you know, then suddenly you realize that holiness is being harnessed in a way that would would, would exceed your capacity to ask yeah. for mercy. You know, he is bestowing a mercy that exceeds anything we would dare to ask of him. Yeah.
0: And so, so we, we have a an encounter, a part participation in the life of God as holiness, uh, help me bring this into the everyday world. Uh, you, you alluded to earlier that, that holiness has, has different looks. <laughs> Bearded, unbearded, I guess, but, 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 uh, but, but you know, a lot of people, they look at a holy card and they'll see the gold you know, uh, trim around it and they'll see the perfect image. Is is that what holiness is? Well, you know,
1: it's funny because in a sense, that's the goal, right? I mean, wouldn't you like to see Scott's face and Regis's face and yours on a holy card? As <laughs> Not not personally, I, yeah. but, but, but I understand but, your thought. But yeah. that's the goal, right? Yes. As yes. ludicrous as it sounds, that's the goal. Every one of us is called to be saints. Yes. And we all have different vocations in life and different situations that we deal with on a daily basis and every one of those is an opportunity to grow in holiness. And and I think all too often we think of nuns and monks uh, and priests as those are the people who are, are called to grow in holiness, but right. in reality, every one of us is, and ma- they have a different path to holiness than we do. Uh, my wife, for example. Marriage, I mean, all of us are married. We have a lot of kids. We all know that that's a path to holiness. I provide opportunities for growth in my wife's holiness every day. It uh, better be, right? Multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, so anything in this life is is a is an opportunity for us to grow in holiness.
0: But, but unpack that a little bit more for me. So, so we, we always hear about the holiness in our everyday lives. What does that really look like? So we're talking about participating in the life of God? I, I see that the monks praying or, or sisters in, in, in a convent, I see holiness there. Help me picture holiness well, in the everyday.
1: Well, okay, start with the crucifix. So it's self-death, right? And it's self-gift. And so any person that I interact with Uh, is an opportunity for me to die to myself. And when I do that, so say I'm in traffic, and I have an opportunity to cut somebody off and get my place in line, and instead, I let them go on and I move in behind, even though I'm running late for something. That's death to self. Yeah. I right. am offering myself up for that person in a really banal way in a sense, but it's a growth in holiness because I'm putting them first. Okay. That's what it's about. One
2: reminder I think would be appropriate though, because you know the holy is not merely the humanitarian. Right. Uh, True. So what is it that enables our little deeds done with lots of love to really be holy? It's baptism. Yes. You know, it's the fact that we have been inserted into the life of God. I- and, and and because of that, we have become saints and we're called to perfect that. And that's precisely what it is that enables us to transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. But I I think we've gotta be careful again to kind of strike that balance because, you know, the priest who has received holy orders, you know, is the one who is the ordinary minister of baptism. And so Jesus, our high priest, gives us the Holy Spirit through these holy means through those who have holy orders, through the holy sacraments, and and this extraordinary grace is precisely what then endows the ordinary mundane umdrum with a capacity that it would not otherwise possess apart from God stooping down and endowing us with His means. But then pick up right where you leave off. You
3: can't emphasize enough, I think, the importance of baptism because Mm -hmm. that's indispensable. That's foundational, uh, the sine qua non. Without it, you can't sustain a life of grace. And it's not just an insertion into his life, but into his death. Right. Uh, I mean, the whole Paschal mystery, his descent we are inserted into that, which is what enables us to die to self, as you put it, and then to make a Great. gift of self to another
1: person. Right, it's not just about goodness and being good, to your point, you know, yeah. the young ruler approaches Jesus and Luke and says, good teacher, and Jesus says, well, you know, only God is good. Yeah. We can only be good enough, so to yeah. speak, through Jesus Christ, and obviously right. that happens through the sacraments, beginning with baptism, yeah. and that's how we're joined to his life.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so everyday activities through our baptism, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of grace can be transformed. So even the, the doing of the laundry, the taking care of the sure. kids, the letting someone cut you off in traffic or whatever. It's what it Catholics
3: be. have called for centuries, the sacrament of the present moment. Right. You take this moment and, and you somehow charge it with grace, which is there waiting to be applied to whatever you're doing. Uh, and, and this outward doing uh, is somehow inwardly informed by this movement of the Spirit, this, this secret from God who fills you with His life, His love, and that's what empowers
2: you to be another Christ. You know, as theologians, we're always making distinctions, and I think it's appropriate here to also make another distinction, and that is a distinction between justice on the one hand and sanctity on the other. Righteousness and holiness are often confused, and yet, We distinguish them, and we need to, but in order to show how inseparable they are. Righteousness is rooted in the law, where we have commandments to be kept, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that, but the law is ordered to the liturgy. Righteousness is ordered to holiness. The liturgy, not just the king, but the priest, not just the palace, but the temple. This is the end, this is the goal. And I think when we recognize that keeping commandments is not an end in itself, but a means to an end, and achieving communion with God, and then extending that communion through a a self-offering to other people, You know, I think that is the mystery that clearly distinguishes holiness from righteousness and yet shows how inseparably connected they are. Mm.
1: Yeah, if you keep that end goal in mind, operating in the present moment makes complete and utter sense when you think about it because we all have the same goal and it's that communion with
2: with God. And it keeps us from legalism or moralism. That's exactly right. It's finally not about bookkeeping. Right. Right. And
3: in a sense, it's not finally about me, it's about God who, out of some incomprehensible love, has decided to love me, to lavish himself upon my life. I don't deserve it, but I'm stunned with a sense of gratitude that God would stoop down and take pity on, on my nothingness. And, and that acknowledgment, I think, is what allows us to live a Eucharistic life filled with a sense of thanksgiving. Mm. As we look at holiness,
0: um, and kind of, j- you already started alluding to it because it's about going deeper, it's about us, but it's also about bringing that out into the world. Uh, speak for a moment about holiness and the new evangelization.
1: Well, the new evangelization is, uh, we start with Catholics, right? And, and we need to evangelize ourselves so then we can evangelize. But really this is a, a, first of all, it's a call a personal holiness, because in order to evangelize, you have to first be evangelized yourself. And I think there's a sense in which every one of us is a salesman for God. I don't want to you know make it too banal, but um, have you ever bought something from someone that they didn't really believe in their product Thank you. Sure. No, you don't right If you're not excited about it, what's the point? But if you are so you go see a movie that you like you talk about it to everybody and and you're not even getting paid to right. Right. and and we encounter Christ in a real way and it it transforms us we shouldn't. We, we shouldn't be able to stop talking about our Lord. And this is part of the call to holiness. It's not just about ourselves, it starts with us, But because we are the family of God, and the entire human family is called to be a part of the divine family of God, we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters, wherever they may be, to draw them in. And Mm -hmm. holiness is kind of that bonfire that draws people in from the cold, dark night of sin. And so we become this blinking neon sign of Jesus when we're living personally holy lives, and that gives us the ability and the grace to go out and reach and grab other people and drag them kicking and screaming, if we have to, into the arms of Father God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful, that's powerful. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. To be holy, I see as striving for Christ.
4: Um, To be holy is to love as Christ asked us to love and as he showed us.
0: When I think of holiness, I really think of that Mother Teresa quote about, you know, it's not doing great things, it's doing small things with great love. And it's those little things day in and day out, you know, the little acts of kindness, you know, the things you do when you're by yourself. You know, it's not just what's seen by the public eye. It's really transforming everything you do into a sort of prayer. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to uh, bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's
1: important for us to be able to embrace both.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about holiness and prayer with author and speaker, Matt Leonard. He's the author of the new book, uh, Prayer Works, Getting a Grip on Catholic Spirituality. Um, So Matt, we've been talking about holiness. We've kind of got an understanding how it's both a, a practical, everyday part of our life, but it's also about an encounter and participating in the life of God. Uh, Regis alluded to it earlier about the sacraments, but, but how do the sacraments help us grow in holiness? W- what does that look like in our, our call to holiness?
1: Well, they're the ordinary means that, that Christ extends grace, right? He, this is how we get saved, so to speak, uh, is through the sacraments, and it's the, the real channels of grace, and so they impart to us something that's objective. That then is supposed to empower us to grow in holiness, and it's a participation. So God gives us something and then we're supposed to act based right, on that, yep. that grace that he gives us. And, and it's, it's an interesting paradox because anything we do obviously comes from God. Yeah. Our ability to sit here and talk is, is God-ordained, right? Yeah. He gave it to us. But the sacraments give us a particular grace so that we can grow in holiness and move forward in the Catholic life. Right.
0: So it's not sufficient as a Catholic
3: just to be a good person, to be a kind person, to be a good humanitarian. Well, I think Matt's point (laughs) is this is how you become good by virtue of sacramental life. You plug in to that sacramental system, although it's not a system. Uh, It's a whole ambience, a a theater of of life. It's a setting. Uh, It's a drama. Uh, This is where you encounter God. And and it unfolds in these seven very privileged uh, channels of grace. I mean, the Penny Catechism, I think, puts it pretty plainly, an outward sign instituted by Christ, to give grace, to yeah. communicate God's own life. Yeah. I mean, the, the disproportion, I, I think, is pretty startling. God's life is somehow communicated through something utterly pedestrian and, and prosaic, a piece of bread, you know, a glass of wine, transubstantiated into His body and blood, soul, and divinity. I mean, it, it's... it's, it, it's Emily Dickinson has this great line. She says, life is so startling that it leaves scarcely any time for another occupation. Uh, It it seems to me that when you see the sacraments, you are so startled by what you see, the reality is so fraught with the life of heaven that you don't have time to be distracted by anything else. And, And the church, I think, wants to entice us, galvanize us into a life of sacramentality so that everything is steeped soaked, literally, in the blood of the Lamb. There's no escape. It's a world.
2: You know, it's significant, I think, that you start off by saying you alone are holy. God alone is holy. We aren't. We don't start off being holy. We can only begin being holy through baptism. But when you go and look at the Old Testament and compare it to the New, you can see on the Mm -hmm. one hand that, you know, Aaron, even after helping them build the golden calf, is consecrated and ordained and invested with the liturgical powers to be the high priest, and on his forehead is holy to the Lord. You know, not because he himself has become a saint. In fact, nobody anywhere in the Old Testament is ever referred to as a saint. Yeah. And that's significant. I mean, after the incarnation, Moses and Elijah participate in the transfiguration, but the only reference in the Hebrew Bible to the saints is the vision of the future in Daniel 7 where the saints of the Most High begin to share what the Son of Man alone accomplishes. So the objective reality of holiness is only God's, And then he gives it to us, but he does so not through anything that is intrinsic to us, but what is purely extrinsic, and that is the sacraments. You know, what's so beautiful, though, is how it is we subjectively conform ourselves to the objective holiness. You know, St. Therese, the little way, to me, is sort of like, she was trying to, you know, for a few years as a teenager, do great things for God. I want to be a missionary and a martyr until she realized that that holy way that the martyrs have trod is just no way she can do it. And so she realized, I'm just going to settle for my weaknesses. I'm going to accept your mercy. And then all of a sudden she realized that the tolerating this sister who irked her to no end, you know, after she dies, you find out that that sister thought that she was Therese's favorite, you know, that way of experiencing the love of God in the, as you've said, the humdrum and the mundane. That to me is the surprising, in fact, shocking way that we really conform ourselves to that which is so intrinsically other, God, divine. We also think of it as something, we we get too
1: isolated, I think, in our own little world. And and I think to both of your points, you you talk about the drama and you talk about the Old Testament and plugging into this story that's unfolding. That's really the key because this is, this is a drama that started in the garden and is, going, is moving forward and it's playing out right now. This isn't over and done with in sacred scripture. And so all of these moments that we are participating in joined to the body of Christ are not just affecting us, but they're playing a part in salvation history. And that's something that we have to
3: keep in mind because yeah. we're all joined together. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. that's right. Chesterton has a great line. He says, I, I love this about God that he takes such an interest in his minor characters. <laughs> we're, in, we're in this play scripted by a divine playwright, God. He's the author, but he's also the main character. He's the protagonist. He's in the story himself. And and to the degree we anneal ourselves to him, we're part of, of, of the movement, the orchestration of that And that's a pretty exalted uh, status uh, for a God to confer. It it makes us really special. We have a part to play that's much greater than
2: our potty little selves. That point needs to penetrate our souls because he didn't just script the play. He's the main character and he's active in all of the lives of the minor characters because that's what translates, you know, the, the, the theory of holiness into the practice of prayer. Uh, because we can talk about holiness, we can even strive to be holiness, but we'll never get close apart from that conversation that prayer is, and although it's never easy, it's always powerful, and especially sometimes when it's the hardest of all. And, And I think that's the translation of the sacramental holiness that is so objective, into the personal experience of our own weakness, which is so subjective, because that's where God meets us. Yeah. And, and that's what surprises me, at least, the most about prayer, that I don't have to kind of conjure it up. I don't have to work myself into a, a holy state, a spiritual frenzy. It's like I just have to turn to him and realize, He's already there.
1: Right. It's also the converse of that fear you were talking about before, where we used to start and you're trembling before Almighty God. But prayer is that relationship that we have with God. And so we approach Him as a Father. And that's where we really start to understand who we are vis-a-vis God. And we are His children. And He loves us.
3: And and that's what's so beautiful about this. In in the sacraments, there is a kind of tension that we have to preserve. And it, it can snap. I think, in one of two ways. On the one hand, you can make the sacraments so utterly magical, so vertical, that mm-hmm. you've got a DSX ex machina, God popping out of the machine. Uh, and and that, that, of course, is, is, is superstition, rank superstition, and we want to avoid that. But the other extreme is a kind of horizontalism, in which, at the end of the day, we're celebrating ourselves. It's what we do. I mean, there has to be that complementarity. God takes the initiative, which is unheard of, undeserved, but we have to respond to it, and we're invited to cooperate, to concert our will with His will, and the results our salvation history. Yeah,
0: So so we have the sacraments. They often are admonished to frequent the sacraments and, and those sacraments that we can frequent are the Eucharist and confession. And then we, those are all prayers. These are, you've often talked about the, the, those sacraments. When we look at, at particularly at confession, which often sometimes just gets pushed to the side, how do we make a good confession and how does that really change the life of grace, change our life of holiness? Is there any, thoughts you have as you look forward at a confession, um, just because there, there's opportunities for grace there that abound.
1: Yeah, I think we can all identify with the prodigal son as far as this goes, And you know, here you have him, uh, he spurns his father and he goes off and he squanders everything, and then he gets to this point where he's like, I'm gonna die if I don't go home. And so he goes back and he throws himself in the, the arms of his father. What I find interesting about the story is, He doesn't have perfect contrition. He's not totally sorry for his sins and everything that he's done. He's going back because of fear of death. And I think all too often that's kind of what moves us into the mm. confessional. Right. So, you know, we have to be sorry for our sins and we state them and we do our penance and all the rest of it. But how often do we go into the confessional out of pure love for offending, you know, we've offended you, God? Right. Yeah. And that's the attitude I think we have to develop for confession. Yeah. And that's the grace that confession gives us, too. Mm. So it helps us start to live that life of love that we were talking about, not just fear. It, it is very comforting, yeah.
3: though, to know that that motivation that purity of intention, is not necessary it it would be helpful and that's what we move towards but in the absence of that it's not as if god says okay i'm not here i'm out of here Uh, you're you're still a sinner i'm not going to shrive you at all i mean that was luther's uh, hang up that this is the repentance of the gallows and it's just no good it's inauthentic Uh, that that's balderdash god will accept us on practically any terms we're desperate to be made whole maybe because we don't want to go to hell That is enough for now, attrition. Later on, I can purify the motive, and pretty soon you become, uh, you, you, you shine like the sun. But right now, there are a lot of dark spots.
1: And you mm-hmm. see that in the story, too, because the father then throws the feast yeah. for the son Great. and Great. welcomes Great. him in because his grace is making up for what's lacking in his child. It, it's so really it's about the father. On, yeah, I It's say, about the
2: father. It is. It's it's a, I'm so
0: glad it's more dependent on the father <laughs> than it is
2: on us. <laughs> and our, yeah. Let sure. me fine-tune the description, too, because when you said he threw himself into the arms of the father, you know, it's more like the father, right. you know. Yeah, he runs out to him. It, it's more as though that the, 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 the son is rehearsing his lines. You know, that's true. Yeah. I have sinned against you in heaven, you know, and blah, 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 and the father's like, <laughs> you know. It's attrition, it's not contrition, but I don't care, that's right. you know, I've been waiting for you. You're home. And, and, and that's the point, I think, that startles us, that that he wants us more than we want him, and that he wants to forgive us and cleanse us more than we want him to and that he's capable of doing stuff that we can't even yet ask him to. Yeah. You know, Pascal, in, in
3: that sublime uh, uh, encounter he had with Christ, uh, Jesus says to him, Blaze, I have loved you more ardently than you have loved your sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that, he melts, he it just dissolves in tears as a result of that. This sudden blinding awareness that God has been looking for me. I mean, Pascal says, I mean, Jesus says, you, you would not, you would, I, I have found you and you would not have found me except that you were looking for me. The search is the discovery. I mean, yeah. sanctity is the process. You know, the effort to be better is itself evidence of having become better. I mean, this is why we go to confession more than once. That's right, yeah. yeah. Provision yeah. is made for repeated falls. Yeah, uh, so I want
0: to switch in our, our last uh, few moments here in this segment. We've talked about the sacraments. Let's talk about prayer, uh, in, although the sacraments are prayer. Um, when we think about um, times when we're just praying, sometimes it can become awkward, as if we're just having, uh, you know, a, a dialogue with ourselves, where we don't feel like we're just talking, 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 and, and we're not getting any feedback. You know, any, any thoughts on, on that kind of, of awkwardness in our prayer with the Almighty?
1: Yeah, I think that um, this is one of the beauties, I think, of the way that I was raised in the the Protestant world is that I was taught at a young age to develop a facility for talking to God. And when I came into the church, I realized we had these beautiful set prayers that could express things in a way that I never could in a million years. And I oftentimes fall back on them. And so uh, this is one of the things that I encourage people to do is to talk. You think about talking to God as if you're talking to another person. Oftentimes, we use this imagery of God, of of a father, and maybe we don't have a great relationship with our father, maybe that uh, contributes to the awkwardness of our conversation with Father God but we have to realize that he is so much more and above and beyond our own earthly fathers who are just reflecting him. But it's really about talking to another person. And just like we're talking to, uh, to each other, this is what the life of prayer is. And It's absolutely ludicrous not to pray because if you're not praying, you're not talking to the person who loves you more than anybody else in this entire world. Right. And, and you don't have an awkwardness in talking to those people why God? And so we have to practice. I mean, it's not just something that's innate. We, we need to practice talking to God.
3: Well, the church speaks of prayer as the language of hope, the voice Amen. of hope. And, and those who don't have hope, don't pray. And, and those who have a, a defect of hope, like presumption, they may pray, but without any sincerity, because they're already convinced that they're gonna make it, my prayer has been answered. So why do I need to uh, uh, speak these words of petition? I mean, that, that too is a perversion. But to have hope is automatically to turn to God because you know He's there. You believe, and on the strength of your hope, you have this lively expectation that He's waiting to hear from you. In fact, He has more to tell you than you could possibly say to Him.
0: I'm gonna gonna hold your thought. Let's stay with us as we go a little deeper into the spiritual life on Franciscan University Presents. Uh, Well, I'm part of the prodigal son's household and that's a staple in our our covenant is confession and forgiveness, I think, is one of our biggest uh, virtues that we have because as the prodigal son
1: returns to his father, you know, he's always forgiven no matter how many times he sins. If you ask any member of the prodigal son's return household, you know, all of us, really are big on confession, because it shows us God's mercy, and that no matter what you do, no matter what mistakes you make, He understands, and He's willing to accept you in open arms.
4: Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy, and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily Mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, We're being taped right now in the studios of the Communication Arts Department here at Franciscan University. Um, The camera and the equipment are being operated by the students here at the university. Our regular panelists, our theology faculty here at the university. Um, And Matt, you're an alum of the university. I am. Um, So it, it is great to be talking to you about prayer and about holiness. Um, uh, we want to go a little deeper into uh, the spirituality, the spiritual life uh, of the church. Um, you go through what you call the, this, the, the um, traditional stages of the spiritual life. Help us understand what those really are and what, why it matters to us.
1: The three stages are the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive ways. And really these are just the traditional stages of the growth of a person. Uh, I think Aquinas puts it in terms of, of human growth. So. Uh, from infancy into adolescence and then into adulthood for the spiritual life and they're kind of like a a spiritual GPS, okay. a, a you-are-here map, you know, when you <laughs> yeah, stop at the road and yeah, right. you, you look up right. and you say, this is yeah. how, how am I, I doing. Exactly. Yeah. How are you doing in the spiritual life? And that's why they're so right. important. Right. So while we have the Mass and we have the other sacraments and we have prayer, those are kind of the vehicle, but they travel a particular road. And okay. the three stages of the spiritual life are that path that we travel in order to get to God. Give me the three stages again. The purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive ways. Excellent. And the purgative is kind of the, it's like when you get healthy and people kind of purge themselves of their diseases. Yeah. And that's the movement of the soul out of mortal sin into a state of grace. And so we're getting rid of the sin and the vice. So preparing yourself. Exactly. That.
3: But I mean, they're not hermetically sealed. It's not as if, okay, Correct. I've done the purgative. Check, you yeah, off, off. There's no the line you cross. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's
2: an important point, because yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, when you use the analogy of the map or the GPS, it's like, okay, am I, am I in Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania? That's right, that's right. And, the, and the fact is the spiritual life is is. a messy thing, and so there are elements of all three at every stage of your life, and so you really need a spiritual director. You know, self-diagnosis is a dangerous enterprise when it comes to physical health, but I think even more when it comes to our spiritual well-being. So going to confession regularly, but allowing yourself to really be known, by your yep. confessor, and getting spiritual direction, I think, is sort of a sine qua non. Without that, you really shouldn't be going into this, well, let me speculate as to where I am, what spiritual state. You
1: no, know, it's so, true, you know, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila describes her in her mansions, you know, she says they're not linear, the, these seven like, interior castles, right, yeah. that they're arranged, you know, here, there, and everywhere, and you kind of move through them as you're moving toward God. I think the value of, of having the at least talking about it as a map or a, yep. and describing the spiritual life isn't for self-diagnosis, but for the recognition that we're supposed to mature. That's the moving, Catholic key, life, right, right? That's it. it. And yeah. it's not a free-for-all in the Catholic spiritual life. We are moving toward an objective, and we have to travel together. And get there's there. a
0: purpose for all of this. Right. So, so we yes. talked about it as the purgative, and then
1: the, the thing, illuminative. The other two. And the illuminative is what? The illuminative is uh, it, it, it's uh, it's that growth in love. So after you've kind of moved past almost kind of the fear factor that we were talking about before, you're moving the into. Show. A, uh, uh, and not the oh, show. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, I, I think uh, a, a, a marvelous yes. example
3: of this would be the mass. Uh, you have the purgative uh, state at the beginning. And then you have scripture, which illumines, I, I think, the interior life. Uh, and then, of course, communion. I mean, that's supposed to be a unitive experience. Right. I mean, Eliot has this great line in the quartets, I had the experience, but missed the meaning. But I return. Uh, to that meaning, so that I can revisit the experience. I'm flooded with a grace that I didn't appreciate at the time. How many of us have had sort of distracted communions? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've just taken God, right. you know, the Lord of the universe. You're flooded with His presence, and you're utterly oblivious
2: to this. I mean, that. I mean, you need to be purged again. Yeah. yeah. I, I think another way of thinking of this is in Scripture. You have Torah, law at Sinai. And this is sort of meant to expunge idolatry and mortal sin from Israel. But when you move from Moses to David, when you move from Sinai to Zion, you, you receive wisdom, hakmah, from the son of David. Solomon becomes the, the wellspring of a divine wisdom that illuminates people with the light of God's will. So it's not just thou shalt not, it is rather the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is this way of life. Suddenly you realize that I want to internalize the commandments because they come from someone who knows me better than I know myself and who wants something greater than what I want for myself. The unitive is when you look, you know, it's not Sinai or Zion, it's Calvary, where you have to unite your will to the will of God, like Jesus does in Gethsemane. You know, and going back for a moment, you know, it really is important to see that the spiritual life is maturing, you know, infancy, adolescence, adulthood. And it also helps to remember that sometimes adults can act rather childish. Amen. And sometimes children can, you know, can be mature, sometimes adolescents think they're adults when they're really not, you know. And so this again helps us to wa- see why they're, they're blurred. But I think the most ironic factor is this. You know, I, I, I mentioned Therese already twice because you know, I, I was on my retreat recently and I read the story of the soul again. And you know, the maturity that she exemplifies as a doctor of the church and not just a saint is a little way. And so the irony is that the more you mature in the spiritual life, the more childlike you become. Yeah. Yeah. And the more willing you are to unite your will to God's will and to will what he wills because he wills it. You know, St. Therese the paraphraser, you know, I get whatever I want because I want whatever I get. You know, and it's that acceptance of God's will that is the unitive, yeah. but it's the driving force at every point along the way. It, it's that childlike acceptance of, mm. of, of God, which I think Therese
3: evinces throughout her life, which is why I think uh, somebody like Balthazar can place her higher even than Teresa of Avila. I mean, this, this, this prodigy, this spectacular mystic, she and John of the Cross levitating together mm. in the parlor in Avila, yet Therese, the little flower, is raised higher than they because of this utter, abysmal, childlike trust in God. She exemplifies the always greater aspect of divine mercy. I mean, as she lay dying, she's told, look, you can't receive viaticum, you're not well enough to go to communion before you die, and she says, well, that's all right, because in the end, uh, grace is everything. Tout est gras. Grace is everything, and and for her the primacy of God is what comes before anything else, particularly before her own effort. Her effort is always inadequate, always paltry, which is why she views the spiritual life as getting on a kind of escalator, an elevator, that will sort of shoot her straight into the arms of God without any heroic effort on her part. Just let God let go. Yeah, let God be God, and and right, yeah, <laughs> and He never has a bad hair day. <laughs> He's always on, always ready to
0: receive us. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, Saint John of the Cross, and and oftentimes when Catholics think about the spiritual life, the the dark night of the soul that that John of the Cross talks about, is that part of this this purgative, illuminative, and and, and unitive. Uh, it is, the,
1: the dark night of the soul, which sounds like something Vincent Price or Darth Vader <laughs> should introduce, is really the transition between the second and third stages. So between the illuminative and the unitive ways. And really it's that sense of abandonment that people who have reached the higher stages of the spiritual life experience where God's there, but you don't feel him at all anymore. And really this is kind of the, the full putting off of the old man and, and taking on the new. And you are learning to seek God for his own sake no matter what it is, you feel or don't feel, because your deep desolation. Yes, yeah. and, and you know, Mother Teresa talked about this and, and how she experienced this for 40 years. Yeah. And most people, I, I don't think, expi- I hope it doesn't happen to me, If Lord willing, if I can get there, but 40 years
3: and she experienced <laughs> right, this and yet right. look at what she accomplished. Right,
0: yeah. And it was still drawing her to that unity, drawing her deeper. And, into and she was life.
3: able to draw others to God and yeah. yet she felt only his absence. Mm. That's astonishing.
1: Yeah. And it speaks to the fact that you can't put too much weight on our emotions. We've right. touched on this before, but if you, it's like marriage again, you know, the butterflies come and go, but even as the love deepens, and if you, if you are th- you're seeking too much on the emotional state, you're just going to lose God. And really, this is part of what this, the growth in the spiritual life does. It sheds us of those, uh, those dependencies that we have on the human side of things as we seek God for everything that He is.
3: Well, I think this is why, I mean, in, in the Christian life, the defining of, uh, experience is charity. What have you done for the other? Uh, not how are you feeling, not the warm fuzzy, but the life of charity. I mean, it, it's a harsh and dreadful thing, as Dostoevsky reminds us. And, and Dante speaks of love as a terrible thing. It, you don't want to fall into the hands of the living God. He's demanding, unyielding. You have to be as perfect uh, as his heavenly father is right. perfect. I mean, that, that, that's stern, that's unbending. But at the same time, he overcompensates us for our failure to approximate that end. He knows, he knows we're, we're, we're rum-dums and we're not likely to finish the race without a great deal of help. Yeah. 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 And mean, we start the race right at the finish line, it would seem, with baptism. We're suddenly in the arms of God and we haven't done anything.
2: You know, for ordinary schleps like us, <laughs> you know, just kind of plodding along, you know, it's tempting to kind of relate an experience I have to the dark night of the soul But I think we have to step back and say, okay, you know, into your hands. I I don't really know whether I've gone through a dark night. I sincerely doubt it. But you know, when you step back and look at a dark night of the soul, you know, there's a dark night of the senses and there's all kinds of ways to analyze the spiritual life. But dark night is rather redundant. Every night is dark, you know? Uh, and so the dark night is precisely when there's no moon, there are no stars, right. there's a desolation. That's right. You know, and, and there is a Gethsemane experience and, and everybody gets a taste of that, even if you're not going to get it full blast the way Jesus or St. John of the Cross, you know, did and described. I, just, I think it's helpful though to recognize that when God feels distant, when he is absent from us, that's where we need to allow ourselves to be really surprised that He's actually closer to us than we realize. You know, I, I've mm-hmm. referred in the past to this experience I had in Assisi one night at midnight when I was looking at my seven year old son who was looking close to death and surgery at a place that would be the last spot on earth where you'd want it to be done in Assisi at that hospital. And I, I, I fell to my knees and I asked the Lord for help. And He was like, What are you afraid of? And then what, are you, what am I afraid of? You know, out at port, and two and a half hours later, I realized that he seemed so distant, so absent. Yet he and the angels and the saints were closer to me than I was to Joe, than I was to myself. And time and again since then, I have discovered that in my fears and you know, in that sense of like, where are you? It's it's dark. It's nighttime. You know, that's when, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect, and our prayer is too, even if we're not suddenly praying in in tongues or praying in some ecstasy, I I think in our stammering, God is speaking through the Spirit in our sighs and moans. Well, that's what Jesus told Pascal that memorable night, I
3: loved you in my agony, I thought of you as I was shedding blood for you, can't you at least shed maybe a tear or two for me? And and I think that summons a, a sense of reciprocal love, a sense of chivalry. I'd like to do a little bit, if I can, for God who has done so much for me. Yeah. So so as we grow
0: in holiness, we need the sacraments. We need holiness in our lives. Obviously, uh, we need prayer. Are there any other uh, final? tips as we, we go on this path of holiness? Is there other things we should be doing, looking at?
1: You know, I think that Scott hit on one that's huge. Uh, well, let me back up first. Scripture, first of all, we can't forget the role of the Word of God, because this is our Father's manual. We wanna learn how to be like God, right? We say, read the Bible, because it's there. And, but I think that you hit on this, the point of a spiritual director previously, and, and this is huge. It's, it's prayer, and it's the sacraments, but it's also the people with whom we surround ourselves, the rest of the family of God. And even though part of the growth in holiness is going outside of ourselves and seeking the people that need to be evangelized and bringing them into the family, we have to be careful that the people that we surround ourselves are people who are helping us strive for holiness. Yeah. Yes. And, we, and, and if we're not, we're gonna get drugged down. I mean, it's like your kid hanging out with the bad crowd. They're not right. gonna take them to mass. You know, they're gonna start smoking and drinking and whatever else. But uh, th- that, that's a huge thing for me, and uh, if, if you don't find people who are gonna push
2: you to holiness, you need to look for them. That's you great. Know, and a spiritual director who gives you a plan of life yeah. so that you schedule prayer, a rosary, mass, at least weekly confession regularly, but also morning prayer and evening prayer. And I mean, just making it so that just your spiritual life is like your physical life. You don't just do things on a whim, you'll get fired. Yeah.
0: You know, well, i don't want to cut you guys off here, but let's uh, stay with us for the last segment of Franciscan University Presents.
4: One way I stay close to Jesus
1: is through meditating upon his life And when I sit in the chapel, I just let him take my mind where he wants it to be. I think what's most important is to find a spiritual director so that he can kind of help you get through any kind of concerns or problems that you have. And here at Franciscan University, we have abundance of that, so we're very blessed.
4: Study online, on campus, or both in graduate programs for working adults at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Advance your career with the ethical approach to management you'll find in our MBA. Bring online learning to life through our masters in education. Prepare for advanced practice nursing with our masters in nursing. Check franciscan.edu or call 800-783-6220.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about prayer and the call to holiness. Uh, this is our final segment. Uh, Regis,
3: could you start us off? Yeah, I, I have a couple of things, but, but first I wanted to thank Matthew for coming and for these two marvelous books. Uh, uh, I've known you for a long time, not terribly well, but I knew you as a student, and at one time you were holding Time cards on the other side (laughs) of the set. Uh, I didn't realize that you had grown so tall uh, and uh, very impressive uh, and these books are splendid and I hope uh, I hope they receive a lot of attention. Uh, Certainly the introduction to one of them uh, uh, is absolutely riveting. We all know Mike Aquilina and love and admire him but I'd sure like to get him to write an introduction to one of my books because uh, he's over the top uh, but I'm, I'm but having spoken and chatted and listened to you for the last hour. I I think it's all richly deserved, but he, he, he thinks of magnanimity when he thinks of you, and he says this is probably how God looks at us, the way Matthew looks at other people. He doesn't just see what's there, but he also envisions what might be there, what ought to be there, and that's the whole point of the virtue of magnanimity. It's a large-sounding word, but an absolutely necessary virtue. It's a pagan virtue, and Christianity did not disavow it, but deepened and baptized it. It simply means a hunger for greatness, a summons to sanctity. You aspire after great things. What could be greater than becoming holy, becoming a friend of God, and being drawn into His life? And, and the takeaway line that, that I would uh, leave with uh, our viewers is from Guardini, Romano Guardini, who says that in the experience of a great love, everything that happens becomes an event related to that love. And, and it seems to me that the coming of Christ is an event. It's not an idea. It's not some mental construct we've come up with. Uh, it's an event, a happening. Uh, The exceptionality of which we can encounter in the sacraments, in prayer, in life, in other people. And that summons us, I think, to a greatness which is the very soul of magnanimity. And uh, if you're an example of it, then I think we need to read your book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Regis. Scott. I would echo what Mike Aquilina said and what Regis just uh, echoed too. And that is, um, I mean, I've known you. I was there when you came into the church, you were living with my family. Now we get to be collaborators in the St. Paul Center and I've seen the work that you've done in Journey Through Scripture and in these books as well. And not just teaching it, but living it out in family life and in difficulties. And uh, I wanna thank you for that. The second thing I'd like to point out is the point that I was making right before the last break and that is the plan of life that Mm -hmm. you point to. uh, So that when we waken, the first thing we do is turn to God, a morning offering. And then we leave some time early on for the gospel. We also have morning prayer. And then the Angelus or the Regina Chaley at noon. And then evening prayer, but there's an examination of conscience. I think it's also crucial to have a retreat every year. Mm -hmm. Confession, at least, you know, Well, the the requirement is once a year, but why not once a month? But when you're on a retreat and when you come back, as I have recently, you're reminded of something indispensable, and that is spiritual reading, Mm. in addition to sacred scripture. And this is where your books come in. Uh, prayer works louder than words. These are great instances of spiritual reading that challenge and beckon and encourage people to continue that plodding along the path of holiness. And even if we're not gonna get there until we die, nevertheless we can get closer and fall more in love and discover how much God loves us. And I, I think the practical worth and the personal content of those books, it's so much more than theory. You really share yourself and I'm grateful I am so thankful to God for the wisdom that you're communicating, but also living out. And I consider myself to be one of the prime beneficiaries of that. <laughs> thanks be to God. Uh, thank you, thanks, Scott. Scott. Amen.
1: It's so ironic that I'm sitting here with you, know, you guys. You two were the first two professors, actually, that I had at Franciscan. And uh, mm-hmm. what I learned and so deeply from the two of you and others is that the goal is to be like Christ. That's it, right? That's everything. And it's something that's so far beyond what it is we can possibly fathom. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man can see what God has prepared for those who love him. And the reason why it's so far beyond what it is we can fathom is because it's divinity. And we get to participate in the divine life of God. Not that we become equal with him, but that he pours himself out on us so that we can become partakers of his divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4 says. This is one of the things I think that, that you guys so instilled in me uh, and, and it changed everything in my life and it, and it changes everyone's life when we realize that really the end goal is to be part of a family uh, that, that it welcomes us in and transforms us from the inside out. And, and that is something that it's almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. And so I thank you two for that because it, it changed my life. And, and we have to remember that this isn't something that just happens later. The topics that we've been talking about with prayer and the sacraments and the people that we surround ourselves with and the plan of life, this is all stuff that happens now, mm-hmm. and it's geared toward what it is we get later, but, but through the sacraments and prayer, we get God now, and that process of acquiring the divine nature uh, and, and joining ourselves to the love of God starts right now, and, and that's what we have to live. That, that knowledge has to dictate what it is we do on a moment-by-moment moment basis in this life. Oh, that's powerful.
0: Thank you, Matt. This has been an outstanding topic. It's been good to know you as a friend and, and just seeing the great work that you do and just echo what Scott and Regis shared. Um, you are not only uh, doing great work through, uh, through your books uh, and your preaching and your teaching and your leading at the St. Paul Center, um, but, but just this, this work alone makes it very easy for people to <clears throat> unpack uh, this great work. If you've been uh, moved by today's topic and interested in, in hearing more from Matt, um, we have an, uh, an excerpt from his book, um, How Does Prayer Work? It's a great simple guide that you can download at faithandreason.com or just for, for calling us, we'll send it to you. Uh, but this is a, a great excerpt and a great article to, uh, to go deeper into prayer. Um, Ultimately, we are all called to holiness. This is a call we've heard, hopefully, from the the early stages of our life and faith. But this life of holiness is not something out of our reach. And I love the way, uh, in the um, Louder Than Words, Matt kind of unpacks a number of the saints. And makes them real. It takes them away from just the holy card image, the stiff image, and shows us their 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 foibles, their 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 uh, frivolity in some of their senses, and, and that it, that you too can be a, a saint and make it a powerful powerful opportunity. Uh, I was recently on retreat, um, and and one of the things was on Saint Francis, and it talked about Saint Francis, uh, and it said all the one of his followers said, Francis, why is the whole world streaming to you? Why is it all coming to you? And he says, because I am the greatest sinner. And Francis saw himself in in his true light, but what Francis had was so attractive. It was holiness. It was his holiness that attracted the world. It was a magnet that drew people in. And we will definitely catch more uh, than beating them over the head with the truth by the attractiveness of the life that we live. So so go deep into your prayer and sacramental life, all the admonitions and encouragements that Scott and others have shared here. Just go deeper into your life of faith and our world will be transformed and you will all be like St. Francis and the whole world will be captivated and drawn to us. Uh, Thank you for watching today's program. Uh, This whole program springs forth from the very mission of Franciscan University to form those who are going to go out and transform the world for Christ. We want to invite you to be a part of that mission by taking classes here, as as Matt and I have done, uh, or to maybe take online or, or distance education classes. Maybe you could join us for one of our summer conferences or our pilgrimages to holy shrines around the world or join us at faithandreason.com to get some great tools to be a part of the new evangelization. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.
4: To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase pass programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357.